All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. Welcome back to the Mars Magazine Podcast. This is Adario Strange with Victoria Song. Victoria. Wait, wait, wait. What happened to Vic? Oh, You're Victoria oh, now? Shit. Did you wait, did you did you get fancy? Yeah, I, wait, wait, did, did I did I see you? I mean, I know you said you came in from Manhattan. You were doing something. Did you just come from like some sort of fancy event? Were you at the upfronts, uh, drinking wine, no. being wined and dined by some studio? No, I wasn't. Okay, well, I just well, then you can switch back and forth. Hey, it's twenty first century. Live, you know, do yeah. you be you? Anywho. Uh, let's talk about a couple of things that happened in the news this week and diving in the first thing that just, I don't know, I find this incredibly fascinating. Seth MacFarlane, the creator of the animated series Family Guy, the Mm -hmm. producer of the reboot of the Cosmos show, uh, starring Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he is, uh, yeah, he's a guy behind that. So he's big science, uh, science technology geek he it was announced in deadline on the website deadline that he will star in a live action science fiction television series that will debut in either 2017 or 2018 and it's a science fiction show and he will huh. he will be the star and this is how deadline describes it set 300 years in the future the show follows the adventure of the Orville, the Orville, like Orville Redenbacher, the uh, popcorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the adventures of the Orville, a not so top of the line exploratory ships in Earth's interstellar fleet. So Seth MacFarlane huh. is now going to do TV acting. I guess no one would cast him in a, in a movie, in a cinematic science fiction franchise. I, I'm sure he did some sort of undercover auditions and whatever, you know, look-sees, and I guess nothing happened, so he decided, okay, screw it, I have the power, I'm going there myself, I'm going to cast myself in my own science fiction TV series. Are you in or out? I can't say I'm out, because it's not in yet. I'll watch the first episode and see if he can act, but I don't have high expectations. Have you seen him sing, by the way? I don't think... He's Brian's voice in Family Guy, right? right? So, yeah, so clearly... Yeah, so I've heard him sing. Right, if you've seen Family Guy, you've heard him sing... And he sounds pretty good in the cartoon, but he actually, he has uh, records out, like traditional, like jazz, like real, yeah, real big boy pants music out. And he actually performs in public. So, he, I mean, so he's a performer. He, he knows how to perform. A lot of people don't see him that way. Um, I know he hosted, was it the Oscars? What, what was it? The Golden Globe? What was it that he hosted? Do you remember? He, he, I think, I think it was the Oscars. I mean, could be wrong. I don't really love awards shows. Yeah. So, he, so I he, think it was the Oscars. He did a decent job there. Uh, some people didn't like his, uh, I guess, delivery, but, um, he also had a movie out, uh, kind of like a comedy Western, kind of like in the tradition of Blazing Saddles. I saw the film. The name escapes me right now, but I saw the film. Did you, did you do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea okay. what you're <laughs> talking about. It was it was the last Seth MacFarlane movie I saw was Ted. Ted. Yeah, I love Ted. Ted is great. I haven't seen Ted too, but Ted uh, the first Ted was amazing. Um, but the only real extended acting that I've seen from him was his comedy western, and it was okay. Um, I didn't sit. I didn't cringe. You know, as I might have. I expected to kind of you know sit there and. 
you know, kind of cringe and kind of, you know, wish him well as he kind of awkwardly went through the, <laughs> the acting motions. But it turns out that he's actually a pretty decent, you know, solid actor, uh, I guess, you know, for what that was. So in a science fiction television weekly, as they're calling it, dramedy, I think he'll probably do a good job. You know, I think he could do the comedy bits. Well, obvs, but he's good at delivering lines as a voice actor. And from what you say, he's a serviceable actor. I'm, but I don't know. I don't know if I could believe him anchoring down a serious role. I'm not sold. So it looks like we may see the pilot either late 2016, late later this year, or early 2017. And I guess after that, we'll see the full series. So we'll see how he does with that. Next, though, we want to talk about something that kind of had the media's attention. I've heard some people refer to this as the East, the Oscars for the East Coast. I don't know <laughs> why they refer to it like that. But we want to talk about the Met Gala, which, well, what, why don't you tell us about that, Vic? Uh, so every year, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, they have a costume institute that looks at, well, costumes and dress. They hold this big, fancy soiree where they invite all the biggest celebrities to come and basically dress really nicely. Like, typical Hollywood red carpet glitz and glamour. And there's a theme every year. I think last year was China through the looking glass. And uh, this year's theme was, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, but Menace Ex Machina or what it means is like fashion in the age of technology, manis meaning hand and machina machine. So it was tech themed this year, kind of. And so, so the tech theme, I guess, uh, from their point of view was that uh, people were supposed to come, I guess, dressed futuristically or dressed in, in uh, garb that used technology in some way. I, I, I went through all the pictures <laughs> Um, As did I. Yeah, I, I saw, I think I looked at something like 130 images of men and women arriving on the red carpet, some famous, some not so famous. And the only thing that really stood out as something that like truly, okay, this is definitely uh, technology at work was a dress, I think, Claire Danes wore uh, that was designed by Zach mm -hmm. Posen. And it was a dress that I guess had it glowed in the dark or had LED lighting. Did you see that? Yeah, it was um it was actually fiber optics. Like he like Zach Posen has done uh, a bunch of stuff with LED in fashion. Like I think he did a show last year uh that had an LED dress and but this one was fiber optics and it kind of looked like if Cinderella had a gown and it glowed in and, the dark. And and what'd you think? What was your fashion take was, on that? <laughs> I mean, it was it was cute. It was pretty, but like is that the best use of technology in in like blending it with fashion? Is, is all we can do, like, light it up? I don't know. Um, I actually thought the Marchesa dress was really cool, too. Marchesa um, is? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I, I don't know high fashion, but apparently it's a big high fashion brand. And they worked with uh, IBM. They had their Watson artificial intelligence program. Like, they worked with that to create a dress that had, it was like this, floofy ball ground dress and it had a bunch of little flowers in it and the flowers in it had like led lighting and depending on what people were saying about that particular dress on social media it would change colors but if you just looked at the dress you wouldn't be able to tell. do you know who wore that it was some supermodel like carolina kirkova it's interesting yeah. the, the biggest reception at least I, that i drew from a lot of people was that 
everyone seemed to be focused on wearing silver, like because silver was supposedly be supposed to be the stand-in for futuristic. Metals are the future. Yeah, yeah. Fu- the future is silver. Uh, two people stood out, and I and I hate to throw fashion shade, but it's fashion. You're supposed to throw shade. In, you know, when you're talking about fashion, right? Isn't that what, uh... Yeah, well, you know, if you can't throw shade when you're talking about fashion, I don't know, I don't know what you can. Exactly, do, so, so. I, the the most ridiculous dress... <laughs> okay, I have two. I have two nominees for most... I want to hear your most ridiculous. My two nominees for most ridri- ridiculous outfit. One, Lady Gaga. Now, <laughs> look, I love Lady Gaga. I love her swag. I love her... I, I love some of her music. I love her stints on American Horror Story... I love her attitude. I love so much about her. And I understand that she's like this kind of fashion kind of adventurer or whatever. Whatever the hell she was wearing looked like an SNL parody. I'm sorry. That that, that just looked like something from, uh, you know, when the cast actually wants to pretend they're Lady Gaga and they want to make fun. And the other one was Ciara, the singer. Did, do you know who that is, Ciara? Yes, I, I know Sarah the singer, but I can't picture the dress in my head. Oh, well, that's just fine because I don't even have to talk about the dress because her offense against the world of fashion is her hair. She came to the event with bright, shiny, a helmet of bright, shiny silver hair. Um, oh. And the dress is not notable because it was by H&M. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if, okay. that, if, that, if that disdain uh, registers with that cough, but yeah, that that cough was disdain. Um, so those well, are the two biggest failures. What, what what about you? What's the most outlandish or you know the you know? I was not digging Katy Perry's dress. Is like gothic prom queen, and I didn't. It was just a mess, and she had a tamagotchi hanging off of it, and I was like, get out of here! Like just because you added tamagotchi to a thing doesn't make it tech. And for that matter, Orlando Bloom also is on my shit list for adding a tamagotchi to his like lapel. It was so stupid. And I think I forget what website. It might have been Jezebel. It caught a picture of the tamagotchi, and it was pooping. And I just. I, I can't. Well, you know, no. the thing is, I looked at that picture of Katy Perry, and could you tell that was her? I couldn't even tell that was her. No, she looked really bizarro. And I, I don't know, maybe she was trying to do something really steampunky, but it didn't look steampunky enough to me. It just looked like a mess. You I, know what I it looked not... like? It looked like Bride of the Fifth Element. Remember the film The Fifth Element with Bruce Willis? Yeah, yeah, I love that film. <laughs> I think it was Mila Jovovich, who's uh, kind of the alien. Lilu, Lilu. Yeah, some of that, some of the stuff overall in the Met Gala looked like something from The Fifth Element. Element. Um, so I want to talk about, though, some of the people who kind of maybe sort of kind of got it right. But first, mm-hmm. a little bit more shade, but we're gonna take we're gonna take the shade level down a notch. We're gonna, you know, turn the knob down about five. And I just want <laughs> people who <laughs> attempted to get futuristic fashion right and kinda went there a little bit, but maybe still just didn't have it quite right. Um mm-hmm. I wanna note uh two, two people. One, Zane Malik okay. from One Di- Run yeah. Direction. Never thought I'd say the name One Direction on this show. <laughs> Um, well, there's a first time for everything. Yeah, Zayn Malik had what looked like basically a regular tuxedo suit on, and over each arm he had giant uh, silver metal arm coverings that looked like some sort of prosthesis on his arms. And I believe this is something you might actually see in the future. It, it 
it looked a little over the top, but something about it said, okay, yeah, yeah, this, you I, might see this in the future. I, I kind of had an opposite reaction to that look, actually. <laughs> like, I thought it was like he chopped the arms off of a, like one of those medieval knight suits of armors and just like put it on. I, I don't know. That, no, no, no. Like, that, that's pretty accurate, actually. That's an accurate description. That's a pretty accurate description. <laughs> uh, before we move on, one thing I want to say is, um, so I don't listen to One Direction. Uh, I know very little about Zayn Malik. But so in preparation for the pod, I was, you know, is it Malik or mm-hmm. Malik? That's something I was wondering. So I said, I I, don't. yeah, so I have to figure out how to pronounce this guy's name. So I think, okay, let me just go to an, inter- an interview on YouTube. So I troll through, inter- you know, the internets and I look through YouTube. And after about five minutes of not finding anyone saying his full name, <laughs> I, I realize I'm being programmed by the boy band Sonic, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know. Well, anyway, it, it, I, I felt like I was being programmed. So I just started to type in the phrase, or I just typed in the phrase, uh, how to pronounce Zayn Malik's name. And Mm -hmm. I stumbled upon a YouTube channel called uh, Pronunciation, I think, Handbook? Let's look at, let me look at this. Oh, no, Pronunciation Book. And it's interesting. There are, this, I feel like this YouTube site must be for, sorry about this tangent, but I have to get this out. (laughs) I feel like this YouTube site must be for non-English speakers or people learning how to speak English. Because there are a lot of like really obscure words and a lot of common words mixed together, and none of the uh, the pronunciations sound like they're like kind of robotic or from like a Siri or from some operating mm-hmm. system. It sounds like a real person saying this stuff. But then the more you dig into this channel, things start to get a little weird and, and creative and interesting. For instance, I found so there's like little advice: how to do this, how to break up with your girlfriend, how to do you know, yeah. or, or how to say I want to break up, or how to respond to a breakup, that kind of stuff. And then one is how to say no to drugs. Okay. <laughs> oh my and again, God. let's just this remind is... you: this is in the pronunciation book on YouTube, and this is what my search for how to say Zayn Malik. I'm so proud of myself that I can say it right. Zayn Malik, Zayn Malik. Uh, this is what my search yielded after I decided to click on uh, how to say no to drugs. Listen to this. I'd love to, but PCP can be detected in a urine test <laughs> three to seven days after use. Oh my god! Wait for it. I'd love to, but PCP. Can oh my god be detected okay that, i think oh that's enough you, you get the idea and so th- th- it goes this this channel on youtube goes on like that pretty much throughout just all kinds of advice for what to do in various situations so you know if you are kind of an english as a second language uh learner or if you're just uh as Trump would call them, uh, poorly educated, <laughs> and you need a handbook. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, if, you need, um, if you need, like, a little help pronouncing uh, certain words, the uh, pronunciation book on YouTube is a good resource. <laughs> anyway, off that huge tangent. Sorry. Oh, I should, I should not forget, by the way, Zayn Malik's uh, date was Gigi, Gigi Hadid, who uh, was wearing what I will call a silver bathing suit under a gray chiffon, uh, I don't know, curtain. <laughs> so there's that. So what about you? Did anybody else that, no, that was of note? No, you got you kind of pulled the the people who um, 
I thought looked like they had taken the future into consideration. Because so many of the dresses, and if you just take a really quick look through one of those like slides that you can just Google and find, it's pretty much just like silver, robotic, metallic shades and, and whatchamacallit, um, geometric shapes that kind of make you look like well, who, a robot. Well, who do you think won? Like, who won the futuristic dressing um, uh, competition at the Met Gala? Well, who if you won? take into consideration that, like, the Met Gala is, like, the haute couture, it's it's very, like, proofy. I, I do think the Marchesa dress that Carolina Krakova wore probably married high fashion and tech together in, in a cool way. And I thought that dress okay, won. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. I have two winners. I'm, I'm going with the sneak mm-hmm. winner, and I'm going with the real winner. Okay. okay, so the sneak winner of futuristic fashion at the Met Gala was Jaden Smith. Jaden Smith. Oh, you no, know, he did look fly. He looked super. Jaden Smith wore an outfit by Louis Vuitton, and I think the only silver that I saw was a uh, some little uh, kind of like. Uh, decorative stuff on his shoes, but everything else was pretty simple and kind of sleek. And his hair was kind of done up in this kind of weird way or whatever, you know, not weird. It Mm -hmm. it looked cool. But you know, when I really think about when I'm, uh, when I see a science fiction film that comes Mm -hmm. out in 2016, 2017, and they're trying, you know, the director is trying to world build and he's trying to show me a world that's, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years in the future. You know, we're all, you know, science fiction fans. We're all very much kind of on the edge of our seats. Like, okay, did did they get the world building right? You know, we don't know what's coming in the future, but does this look right? And I feel like Jaden Smith, you know, the one, (laughs) the you know, known for giving these very odd interviews, even at such a young age, um, I think he kind of got it right. It was this very subtle mix. I know. I'm with you because I saw a picture of him and his sister um, and I was like, oh man, they kind of look good and they don't look too, um, they don't look like they're trying to be from the Hunger Games, you right. know, cause <laughs> in the Hunger Games and the Capitol, it's like the future, but the corrupt people all look like really cracked out versions of Lady Gaga. Like he didn't look like he was trying to pull that off, but oh, it wait, was wait. still, we, 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 we're forgetting to mention Kanye. I almost forgot. To oh, Kanye. oh! How could we how forget could we Kanye? Kanye and 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 Kim? Oh my God, that, well, was, that uh, was. Well, you know, Kim. You know, she just did. The, I, I felt like she kind of fell in with everybody else with the with the yeah. silver stuff, but Kanye went ultimate futuristic by coming as an android with blue yeah, contacts. Yeah, you know, it, was, it, it reminded me of that show. What's that show? Um, I think it's called Being Human with yes. Michael Early. It was out. It didn't do too well. But it had Carl Urban in it as well, and Michael Early just had those blue eyes. I just thought he was, like, channeling that Okay, look. so you gave your winners—well, I gave my sneak winner. You gave your winner. I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. who the real winner of the Met Gala was. Okay. Okay? Okay, I'm listening. And then after that, I want to give in my second person who super Okay, no, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead, because cause this, this is—I got a oh. banger for you. Who, who's the person who failed? Sarah Jessica Parker. She came—she came looking like a reject from the Hamilton musical— uh, she came dressed in breeches and a uh, Revolutionary War jacket. It, I why I don't I don't well, it, you know, what what tech tie in was there? There was none. It it looked and you know actually uh, someone called her out on it and then she wrote back a response and he's like I take this very seriously because <laughs> you know Sarah Jessica Parker is a fashion icon because right. of Sex in the City. Hey, and she Terry rides Bradshaw. the subway. You know she keeps it yeah. real. 
She does, but that look was not anywhere close to anything with technology, in my opinion. So, sorry. So, the real winner of the Met Gala 2016 was Mm -hmm. Alex Rodriguez and Anne Wojcicki. Do you know these people? Are you aware of who these people are? Alex Rodriguez as an A-Rod? Yes, A-Rod from the Yankees, exactly. (laughs) And do you know who Anne is? No, I don't. so Anne is the ex-wife of, well... You know what? Let me reverse that. I I hate when people describe a woman as, you know, first, you know, kind of, oh, she's the wife. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of how most people came to know her. I'll first say what she does. She is the CEO and co-founder of the genetic genetic mapping company 23andMe. Now, I know you've heard of 23andMe, right? Definitely. Okay. And so she also happens to be the ex-wife of Google co-founder Sergey Brin. So she's a billionaire. Her company, well, the, here's why they're the company, the, the couple of the future. If you remember, Alex Rodriguez ended his sports career in disgrace after a scandal uh, involving him with a company called Biogenesis, which right. essentially gave him uh, performance enhancing drugs to, you know, help him last, you know, because he, he played up until, uh, until I guess he was like 40. Well, what better futuristic couple to represent what will happen in the coming decades than an athlete, a professional athlete pairing with a biotech uh, (laughs) executive (laughs) who this is her business. Her business is to map your DNA, to piece you apart, to, to, to to strip away and rebuild and, and, and figure out what all these, you know, you know, DNA sequences mean. What better pairing than someone who attempted to become Superman through, enhanced you know dr- you know drugs and enhancing his body through drugs then hooking up with Anne, who's like master or mistress of genetics so like what are the chances that she's just lured him and to so that she can play frankenstein on he him? already did the frankenstein thing on himself i mean at this point she's just benefiting from the post ped <laughs> product or production fair enough, so fair enough. that's my vote for the true futuristic couple of the Met Gala. I don't even remember what they were wearing. It doesn't matter. Like they represent <laughs> the future. They are the future. So that's it. So that was the, Oh wait, that's not it. Sorry. One last oh. thing in the words of Steve jobs. One more thing. Johnny Ive was at the event, Johnny Ive, oh. the head of design at Apple. And he gave a very bland speech. Yeah. That, I, uh, it, you know, and I think Apple was actually one of the sponsors of the entire event, and they are one of the sponsors of the exhibit. And I gotta say, when I read his transcript, I was just like, "This is a whole bunch of nothing." And, and so, he, it's basically the same thing he does when he introduces like a new Apple product. It's all of this like kind of flowery language said in a very lilting tone, as though he's painting a watercolor picture with words. And, but if you actually get a transcript, he said nothing, like nothing has been said. But his presence there, what really stood out to me about his presence there was the fact that, you know, Apple attempted to penetrate the fashion world with the Apple Watch mm. uh, about a year plus ago. And it doesn't seem to be catching on. You know, you can spend the money, you can come up with these Hermes, you know, Apple Watch bands, and and there's a rumor that there's a coach uh, Apple Watch band coming, 
Uh, you can take out ads in Vogue, and you can put together a, a $10,000 gold-plated version of the Apple Watch. But if it's not, you know, fashionable, I guess it just doesn't catch on. It doesn't. I don't. I mean, I see people wearing it. I have one. I actually love mine, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I have several bands. I, I think lots of people who have them, because you're not my only friend who has an Apple Watch and absolutely loves it. And everyone that I know who has it has multiple bands. But I just think, you know, wearables, I, I kind of have to think that the function has to be there 100%. And I'm not willing to shell out for that when it doesn't really, it doesn't really seem to me like it does much. I well, could be wrong. I could be wrong. Any Apple Watch owner will immediately argue this point because because <laughs> we shelled out the bucks, you know, so we want to yeah. tell you like, well, actually it does this, that, and the other. I mean, yeah, it's not something you need. It's definitely a luxury item, but it's pretty damn cool. I have to say it's, it kind of, in some way it reminds me of the Amazon Echo. It's something that you don't really need, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, if you're a futurist and you want to kind of feel like you're living at least half a step in the future, it's something that does provide an assist. The Amazon Echo, for those who aren't aware, is an item. It's basically a Bluetooth speaker sold by Amazon that you can interact with just via voice. And you can order groceries. You can order shoes from Amazon. It'll tell you the weather. You can order up. Actually, Plug time. This is plug time. Uh, you can test this on your Amazon Echo, but supposedly we have heard authorization given back to us that we are now um, part of uh, TuneIn, uh, our podcast, that is. Ooh. So you should be able to use your Amazon Echo to say, you know, Alexa, play, and I won't say the full thing so your Alexa doesn't go crazy, but <laughs> you should say play our podcast and it should work. But, you know, the Amazon Echo is kind of like an example of something you don't really need. You know, you can order all this stuff online. You can, you know, if you need to, if you want to make a phone call, if you want to send, you know, just do it through their web interface, through the mobile interface. But it's just a little bit of extra convenience. And that's kind of what the Apple Watch does, at least for stuff like notifications, weather, you know, various and sundry, you know, health. Alexa is a Siri that actually works. Oh, wow. Ooh, burn. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so Johnny Ive came and went, but uh, he wasn't really the story. The story was everyone basically, we haven't advanced beyond the the 50s, the 1950s. Uh, When people think future, they just think, oh, a bunch of silver. So next, uh, we want to get into the the topic of the week. Nothing else really happened. This is the big deal. The Star Wars Day, may the fourth be with you day. Do you want to kind of break down what what that is? What uh, what happened? Well, um, it's apparently been around for a really long time, dating way back into the seventies, because everybody loves a good pun. But over the last few years, it became an internet meme where people on May fourth would like I don't know reblog or retweet. Star Wars memes on May the 4th with the hashtag May the 4th be with you. And it's just been growing and growing and growing. And this year they went all right. And to be clear, the origin is, uh, well, at least this is what the internet says Mm -hmm. is that Margaret Thatcher, when she became the, uh, UK's first female prime minister, um, her party, her political party took out an ad in a local paper that said, may the 4th be with you, uh, which was a direct pun on may the force be with you. Uh, May, and it was May 4th. 
And although that was the first time it was kind of used as a pun, at least according to the internets, Mm. the first official Star Wars day, like in terms of like real organized efforts, apparently was in 2011. Now, if that's not true, you guys reach out to us. But that is from what that's what my research tells me. Huh. Yeah, I definitely remember it popping up in the last few years on my news feeds where people were just talking about it. But I think especially maybe last year and this year with the whole franchise kind of coming back to life again, it's really <laughs> taken off. You mean resuscitated by force? <laughs> like a yeah. tube of oxygen shoved down its throat? Yeah. Awake! More money, please. Well, well, that maybe that's why they called it the Force Awakens. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go. Good. Yeah. 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 You're, you're <laughs> clicking now. You're clicking. So yeah. So May the Fourth be with you was May Fourth. Um, it is May Fourth every year, and many companies take this opportunity to sell you stuff. You know, they come up with promotions. They come up with all kind of deals. Some of the stuff that happened. Let's see. Daisy Ridley, the star Ray from uh, The Force Awakens. Um, she kind of encouraged people uh, on, on Star Wars Day, on May the 4th, she encouraged people to donate to a charity. There was a song that came out. Do you, I think you know something about that? Yeah, so uh, in The Force Awakens, when... I, I think everybody's seen it at this point, and if you haven't, then what are you listening to this for? But um, <laughs> uh, there's a scene in The Force Awakens where they go to Maz Kanata's uh, kind of cantina-esque bar, and there is a song that plays in the background, and that was the one song that John Williams didn't want to score in the new film. He apparently was just like, oh man, the cantina is so iconic, I don't want to, like, I could be wrong about his actual reasoning, but he just said he didn't want to do it. So J.J. Abrams went and saw Hamilton, which is this really popular show on Broadway right now. Really? Um, what? Is, that, is that a popular show? What? Well, you know, okay, I'm trying to play it cool. I'm trying to play it cool, Adario. I don't want to be like, oh my god, it's got 16 Tony exactly. nominations. It's the greatest thing that ever came. Uh, like everybody else in New York is is going on right, right now. Um, but he went and saw the show, hobnobbed with Lynn manuel Miranda, who is everywhere at this point. They chatted, and he jokingly told JJ, like, hey, if you need a cantina song, um, I'll do it. And lo and behold, they wrote, J.J. Abrams and Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the song together, but it wasn't released with the original soundtrack. So yesterday, they actually released it so that you could download it off of iTunes or something like that. And um, the Hamilton show, they put on like a little like mini show on the sidewalk outside of the theater. For people that's who before go. the actual show, right? That's, that's for people who go to the lottery because so many people... Um, want to win these tickets like it's a ten dollar no but i mean the show itself i mean this this thing before it's before the actual show is what i'm asking yeah it's it's like two hours before the show it's a very like a short thing so that all the losers in the lottery because so many people go that losers losers well well, you're not gonna win like it's it's like it's something like 800 people 800 people come to like step in i must fight for the people how many times have you seen hamilton uh, let's not get into it. I have no, Hamill no, shame. On, just, just come on. I have Hamill shame. Have I've seen it less than 10 times, but more than five times. Okay. Okay. Wait. Now let's be clear. This is a show that is impossible to get tickets to. People sign up and wait on a waiting list for six to nine months just to get a crappy seat to this show. And you've seen it how many times? Less six times? Five. five times? How many times? Six times. Six times. 
Okay. Continue, I bought sorry. my tickets year a year in advance. So um, I thought you were gonna say years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, at this point, it is like a year ago that I bought my first like that that I bought these tickets because I knew it was gonna get big and I just wanted to see it. So, but let's let's be fair. I have friends who've won the lottery, so you can win. But um, the odds are really low of winning. So they put on this show so that people who want to see it at least go away with a nice memory. So on May the 4th, and we're finally getting to the point, J.J. Um, <laughs> Abrams came out and they performed the, the song Well, together. you're leaving out, like, the part, you know, for the losers. He comes out. J.J. <laughs> Abrams comes out. And before he says one word, what Lynn Miranda Emanuel is that how you say it? Lynn Manuel Lynn, Miranda. Lynn Manuel Miranda. He introduces J.J. Abrams, uh, the guy producing the whole Star Wars reboot. Um, director. He also produced a, a film we talked about just a few weeks ago, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Everyone knows J.J. Abrams. If you know your science fiction, he is, uh, you know, he's a big shot with uh, with in Hollywood and for science fiction right now. So Miranda introduces him. And the first thing that comes out of J.J. Abrams, this multimillion, he's got to be he did, I'm sure he's generated billions for the for Hollywood at this point. The first thing out of his mouth is, well, yes, when I saw Hamilton over a year ago. <laughs> So, so there's this, I just want to say, there's this weird, like, kind of soft, humble brag of, you know, when did you see Hamilton? Were you early? Are you are you on the waiting list? You know, do you have it in your plans? So all that to say, if you, if you do plan on seeing Hamilton anytime in the next six to nine months, it doesn't matter if you win. You're still a loser. Anyway, sorry. That's my rant. I'm <laughs> oh. done. I apologize. That's my rant. No, I, I, I didn't mean people are losers. Like, that's not what I was trying to say. But I get your point, and it's super frustrating. Okay, but th- so we're getting way off track. So the song, what, I heard him sing something that sounded like Alien Speak. What is, was there a name of the song? Like, do you know what called, language he was supposed to be singing in? Yes, it's called Jabba Flow. It is Jabba sung in Hatties. and Hatties. You know, job of the hut. It's Hatties, and apparently, okay. the lyrics mean "lover, lover, it wasn't me." And the <laughs> the artist was called Shag Kava, so it's not like when you look for it, it's not under Lin Manuel Miranda's name. It's under Shag Kava. So apparently, it's a really meta joke by, uh, and it was Lin Manuel Miranda's idea. It's a meta joke that it's a call out to Shaggy's "It Wasn't Me" song in Hatties. Okay, and so what job? So in this rendition Jabba is cheating or is just Jabba's race his his uh species is like, Someone, what, what's the point of the song it, it's basically Jabba going lover lover it wasn't me I wasn't cheating on you okay cheating on his slave girls because if you remember you know my memory of Jabba the Hutt he basically always has like a slave girl of some sort chained chained next to him yeah. so you know within easy slimy reach so yeah, I don't, well, I, I'm really curious as to what uh, female Jabba the Hutt uh, <laughs> he's, he's well, singing Well, they gotta to. come from somewhere unless they're, like, asexual. But that's that's a that's a topic I don't need to think about. Right. So, okay. So, there was... Did you partake in any of the deals, any of the special May 4th deals and promotions? I did not because I have super anxiety about stuff like that, about, like, logging in and getting all the stuff before it sells out drives me bananas but it was really cool i liked a lot of the art are you are you a star wars head 
Yes. Like, you know how with nerds, it's always um, Star Wars nerds versus Trekkies. I'm firmly on the Star Wars okay. side. Okay. And, and what is your reasoning? You know, because people always have to explain, you know, it's kind of like the Beatles versus Elvis or, you know, and that kind of is supposed to indicate what kind of person you are. So why is it that you like Star Wars over Star Trek? I just really like lightsabers. And I would <laughs> like as a kid, I was like, I want a lightsaber. I want to do that. And and I just was really... Darth Vader had such an impression on me as a kid, as did Princess Leia. So I love them. And I love lightsabers. And I always wanted to be a Jedi. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I am firmly in the Trekkie camp. Uh, as many of my friends will know, um, I am part Vulcan. Uh, logic is mm-hmm. my my religion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um no i love star wars i love 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 star wars i'm not really happy about you know just this reboot situation i think you're kind of beating a, you know something a, a franchise that had a nice run and now i feel like you're just milking it to death and i guess i thought about this mm-hmm. what is my favorite i thought what is my favorite modern day science fiction franchise that if they made a day for it and if people dressed up in the clothing of that film of that you know you know world building you know that world in the science fiction uh film which would i think okay i love the film franchise but even as much as i love this franchise this is over the top and i thought the matrix now before Mm. let me just preface whenever you bring up the matrix this is what i hate People always want to correct you and say, well, I only like the first one. You know, <laughs> they, they rush. They rush that's, to tell you that they're fair. not corny and that they, 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 they hated the sequels. Um, you know, two and three, Revolutions and... Um, reloaded. Uh, I'm sorry, Reloaded and Revolutions. Um, whatever. I thought re, uh, I the third reloaded. one, Revolutions... Yeah, I loved Reloaded to me was amazing. But, you know, I do like the first one the best. But if... You know, if I can think of like, so if we had a Matrix day and people dressed in kind of, you know, carry on, carry on Moss costumes and kind of dominatrix kind of looking, you know, shiny, you know, uh, patent leather and, you know, spiked heels and everyone's wearing shades. And, you know, I guess it would be kind of cool for maybe, you know, once or twice. But after a while, I, I even as much as I love the world of the Matrix, it would just really begin to seem corny to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a Star Wars fan might say, well, that's exactly why Star Wars is so great because, you know, it's, it's like a space opera. It's science fiction fantasy. It's science fiction meets fantasy and and it'll, it never gets stale. It never can become corny. I, I know. I'm sorry. Like, I love Yoda. Yoda's the man. Yoda is amazing. Enough already enough. So let's do like just to circle back. Uh Since we're on the topic of, like, the sequels, prequels, let's circle back to episode one of Mars Magazine, where you attempted to bring up one of the upcoming <laughs> films, and I, I rudely cut you off. Tell us, well, what's the next one, the next installment the coming up? The next installment coming out sometime in December this year is Rogue One, which is a prequel, like, standalone prequel to the original trilogy from the 70s. So it supposedly is going to take place right before the first movie, which is, um, well, Star Wars. Some people call it A New Hope. It's just Star Wars. And it was taken from that initial scroll where uh, I think it says something like, a group of rebels have managed to steal the plans to the Death Star. And that's what the movie's about. Those rebels who 
stole the plans to the Death Star. And what did you think of the trailer? I loved it. I was so I was so happy when I watched it. I was like, oh man, another female protagonist. That's awesome. You know, because I, I don't know it made me feel really happy inside. And then, you know, there were just little drops to the original series that felt super cool, like um, Mon Mothma, who is the head of the Rebels in Return of the Jedi. She's shown as a younger self for like a split second in the trailer. And I was like, oh my God, it's Mon Mothma. That's super cool. So I nerded out. I was super happy. Yeah. And, and do we know when that's coming out? It's coming out in December. Yeah. The Rogue One trailer was pretty good. I think the thing that stood out for me that I really did like, even though, again, I'm not a fan of them, you know, kind of just just milking the capitalist yeah. cash grab by Disney. Hey, I'm a capitalist. I love capitalism. I, I love, no problem. I love money, you too. Know, uh, I mean, you know, but it just, you know, come on, come up with something new. But I did like, what I did like about the Rogue One trailer was just, it looked, the world looked very lived in. Mm -hmm. It didn't look clean. And that's the thing that really got me, you know, that excited me about the original, for the first three films, mm -hmm. is that the the world that they created really looked lived in and, you know, you know, just burnt up and dirtied up. And so, you know, Rogue One looks like it's going to be good. But I have, I have a downer. Oh. Okay. This is like. Okay. <laughs> I did this in honor of uh, Star Wars Day. Now, uh -huh. as I've mentioned, I'm a Trekkie, so this was uh, this was this was rough work for me. <laughs> but I did it for the podcast. I did it for the people. We we appreciate uh, your sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. A new film, a new documentary has come out called Elstree 1976. Took the afternoon off up to Pinewood Studios. I knock on the door. So within another week, I got a call to be in Star Wars. It was just a nightmare. I mean, it just turned into a sh Not everything's going to stay in the film. And I was quite angry and hurt. I suffered from, like, terrible depression, you know. The only thing that really got me out of this house was really going to do this convention. He said, I'll pay you 300 pounds. Oh, doing what? He said, sign an autograph. I said, are you for real? Uh, this was directed by John Spira. And it's, in short, it's a documentary about the extras and the bit part players uh, in the original first three films. Now, let me read the description that John Spira gives of the film. He says, in 1976, during the hottest summer on record, Star Wars was shot in suburban North London. Nobody involved had any idea how big the film would become. Many couldn't even remember the title. Yet, for the extras and actors in smaller roles, their faces hidden in masks and helmets, this seemingly insignificant job would go on to color their lives even four decades later. Elstree 1976 is a portrait of a cross-section of these people, from the man inside the most I iconic villain in film history to the guy whose character was completely cut from the film, from the final film. It tells the stories of their lives and explores the eccentric community they have formed, traveling the world, signing autographs for fans. Ooh. This is definitely a film for hardcore Star Wars fans. This is not for the casual. Yeah, this is I just found about I found out about this because of May 4th, Star Wars Day. Otherwise, this probably wouldn't have even been on my radar or I would have noticed it and quickly moved on. But. You know, I was digging into this whole Star Wars Day phenomenon, and I kind of wanted to find out more. And um, it's a full-length film. Um, it is debuting um, this Friday. Like, it's it's out now. 
um, in select theaters. And it's, it should it should also be available on iTunes uh, and uh, it's coming to other video on demand services. I don't know, man. It, it just sounds like it could be potentially really depressing. Well, yeah. Okay. So, so I'm getting to that. So, <laughs> well, first of all, the, the beginning of the, here's the thing. Yeah. I believe film, I, I think, you know, I've listened to many, you know, filmmakers, you know, great filmmakers, and they all seem to gr- agree that film is a visual medium. Mm-hmm. And the thing that struck me about this is I'm watching it. I'm like 20 minutes in, 20 minutes in, if you had the sound down and you just looked at the visuals, you're just seeing people who are not very well known, who are not well, mostly not well known at all in very drab settings. Mm-hmm. There's almost zero Star Wars imagery. So you don't have any context and you're just sitting there for 20 minutes listening to these people tell you about, you know, how they struggle to make it in the, you know, in the the acting biz or whatever. And so you have to pay kind of like a price of about 20 to 30 minutes. After that, that's when things finally start to get rolling. How you you pay this price for 20, 30 minutes. How long is this documentary? I believe it's like 90 minutes. Okay. I believe something, something like that. So it's like, you know, it's not a long feature, not a super short feature. You know, it's for a documentary. It was a decent length. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so you get through that first 30 minutes and then the real, you know, you get the real story and it's covers every, well, okay. The biggest star quote unquote star of the film is David Prowse. Mm-hmm. David Prowse is the guy who played Darth Vader. So, if you are familiar with Star Wars lore, you know that James Earl Jones is the voice of Darth Vader. Um, and yeah, right. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, got a little chill there. I got scared. Um, David, it's, Sorry. it's pretty good. It's just damn good. That is damn good. Um, yeah. So, so f- I think in many fans' minds, the the real actor behind Darth Vader is James Earl Jones. But in fact, uh, David Prowse, the person who was actually in the costume. Wearing the helmet, wearing the Darth Vader helmet, he said all the dialogue. Um, he said all the lines, and they overdubbed everything in post production. He's basically the biggest star of the film. There's also, you know, some, you know, X-wing fighter pilots. Uh, you know, you know, uh, I think Guido, Greedo. Mm-hmm. How you say it's Greedo? Did, it, did they get uh, um, Peter Mayhew, who is in the Chewbacca outfit? I don't, I don't think so. Mm. I don't think, I think he's a little too famous. I think anyone who's basically, this is the people, like I said, David Prowse is the biggest guy. Everyone else is like super bit, Mm -hmm. bit part players. Um, Although it's interesting. One guy who is definitely not like, if you love the Star Wars franchise, but you're not like obsessed with it, this is not someone you would remember. And he had this moment in the film where he kind of very haughtily kind of takes down the people who had kind of extra roles. Like you can see their face in the film. They're readily identifiable, but their name isn't necessarily in the credits, but fans know who they are. And so now these actors have turned their role, their, their screen time, their little few seconds of screen time into fan convention careers where they go to these conventions and sign autographs. And so there was a lot of pettiness in the film, you know, uh. back and forth between different, you know, because none of these people are huge actors. And it was so really, it was really weird to kind of like sit there and listen to this kind of meta world of competition between actors who, 
you know, I guess to hardcore Star Wars fans, Star Wars fans are really important, but to just the casual fan, you know, th- these aren't people you'll ever think about. Yeah, this this all sounds very much like. Have you seen Galaxy Quest? I've seen it. I saw it once and forgot about it immediately. Oh, Sigourney Weaver, notwithstanding the Queen, Sigourney Weaver and Alan Rickman. Well, yeah, him too. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's a spoof on Star Trek, and it's after the show's been canceled, and they just travel together to all these fan conventions, and they're very miserable and reliving their old glory days. So, or at least in the beginning of the film, that kind of sounds like the same type of dynamic in this documentary. Oh, man. I mean, on some level, you know, some of these people are still going to the conventions and signing autographs and making a little bit of money. And then some, there was one guy Uh who was pretty sad. They showed him busking, uh, you know, playing music for for change, you know, for street change at uh, some sort of subway station, you know, I guess in in the UK somewhere. Another woman who was a, a bit player... Um, she was just kind of talking about her life and sounded pretty lonely. And now she's trying to move out of London because oh, the pub no. that she, yeah, the pub she used to go to is closed and all of like most of her friends have died because most of the people in this film, the bit players, uh, they look to be in their fifties, sixties. And in the case of David Prowse, he's 80 in the film. Uh-huh. You know, some of them seem bitter. Some of them seem to have moved on. And others just seem to kind of still hold on to this dream of, you know, yeah, but I'll still get some sort of break, which is really, really... It was a bummer. This was... This was was rough. This was a rough watch, okay? But if you are a rabid Star Wars fan, A, if you're a rabid Star Wars fan, you hate my guts and hate the sound of my voice, and you've probably stopped listening by now. But if you're a rabid Star Wars fan, you probably already know about this. If you do not, and you're a rabid Star Wars fan, again, the name is Elstree, E-L-S-T-R-E-E, 1976. Do you know why they named it that? Like, I'm guessing 1976 is because the movie came out in 77, but why is it called Elstree? Yeah, my understanding is Elstree is the suburban North London area. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. That, All right. you know, that uh, where a lot of this happened. Um, that's my understanding. I could be wrong, but that's my understanding. And um, Darth Vader, the original Darth Vader, the guy who actually played Darth Vader in the costume, you know, he's kind of on the outs, but he still makes a little change. If you're interested in knowing what has happened to some of these people, you know, as they've moved on, it's a good film. It's very well made. It's solidly made. It looks great. Sounds great. A little slow in the beginning, very slow in the beginning. But if you're a hardcore fan, it's I I would say it's to me at the end of the day, this is a cautionary tale Mm. of two things. A, for actors, a cautionary tale for actors who at a certain point, you know, maybe you kind of need to realize, you know, you know, are you that person? Are you that guy? Are you, are you that woman who is this your thing? So it's a cautionary tale in that way. And then it's also a cautionary tale in that several of the bit players kind of seem to still be shocked that so many fans would pay for their autograph uh, so, that so many fans were obsessed with the franchise. So I think if you are a fan of the franchise and you get some memorabilia or some sort of swag or some, you know, something that's hard to get and you feel like you've touched a little bit of the magic, seeing a film in which the people who actually were on set, who actually interact, interacted with George Lucas and, and helped build the universe for, you know, with him, the fact that they don't necessarily feel touched by the magic, and even after all these years, they're not so impressed. Yeah, it's kind of like a cautionary tale of like, you know, maybe keep your fandom in check a little bit, you know? 
I'm, I'm saying if you're if you love Star Wars, I'll just put it in context mm-hmm. of The Matrix. If if I'm a fan of The Matrix and I get a documentary about, you know, the bit players, the background players and them eking out a living uh, by holding on to the fumes of the Matrix, Matrix universe, you know, oh, I was, you know, okay. a, you know, agent, agent 59 in the background of this scenery and, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later, you're still holding on to that. You know, I, I think it's kind of you have to kind of remember to separate, you know, fantasy and science fiction from the real world and what's really important. And I think, you know, if I had to, I, you know, I haven't spoken to the director, John Spira. Um, I, yeah, I don't really know where he stands on this. But if, you know, you know, every reviewer takes the director's interpretation from the final film as kind of like, okay, I think this is what the director meant. Mm -hmm. I have to believe that, that Spira kind of came away with this same feeling of, you know, this is pretty damn sad. And um, as, as great as the film franchise is just, uh, these are the real people who actually help make it happen. Okay. And even, even they're not, you know, fascinated by the fairy dust <laughs> that is sprinkled across, you know, the Star Wars universe. As amazing as that universe is, and as much as I love it, I'm not casting aspersions. I love the Star Wars franchise, Trekkie though I be. The, the film comes off as a cautionary tale of not, you know, taking this stuff too far in terms of fandom versus real life real goals, okay. real aspirations. Um, it's a pretty sad film. It's a big downer. And the fact that it was released on, you know, in the week of Star Wars Day, you know, it's thematically uh, in sync. But I, I have a feeling a lot of Star Wars fans won't necessarily love this film. Well, it's it's kind of like a reality check, right? Like, it's kind of a slap in the face that maybe people... You know, if you love something, it's not necessarily, I don't know, like, I am a Star Wars fan, and I don't feel like after this description, it's maybe something that I want to see, because it's just going to bum me out about something that I love. Like, you don't want to be depressed about the, the Force and Jedi uh, powers? You don't... Um, <laughs> you don't I, think, I think the kind... You don't want to know that Darth Vader is, you know, now 82 and, and, and bitter somewhere in, in London? You don't want to know. Well, I, I knew the story about him a while back because I'm not gonna. I'm not like a rabid Star Wars fan, but I did, you know, look beyond just the movies. I, I'm a mod. I'll call myself a moderate Star Wars fan. I know I'm not a crazy one, but I did look into his story, and that just bummed me out. And I filed it away and didn't think about it after that. I don't know. It, it feels like raining on the parade a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that way myself. That, that's why I'm hesitant to say some of this stuff. But I feel it needs to be said because we're about to live with Star Wars for the foreseeable future. That's I mean, true. That is this very is true. Gonna, this is going to go on. They have planned, from my understanding, there are at least two more films planned. But my understanding is that the studio plans to just keep going, to just keep hiring new directors and a new film will likely be released every few years. And when you look at it from that point of view, and then you look at Star Wars Day and all the marketing and and the kind of promotions going on, it, I feel like this is a, a much needed, as you said, reality check in the middle of a lot of marketing and also kind of 
fan, you know, from a good place. Mm-hmm. You know, the fans are coming from a good place, but from, you know, maybe a little too deeply mired in the universe in some cases. I, I'm all for people dressing up in, you know, the costumes. And one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life was um, passing by Central Park at night. Well, not passing by, riding through Central Park at night. When I first came back to New York a few years ago, mm-hmm. and it had just, you know, it was just past sunset. And I happened across, I think it was like five or six people in a lightsaber battle in the middle of Central Park. That's amazing. And and there was no film coming. There was, you know, there was nothing. It wasn't Star Wars Day. It was just a normal day. And it was just a bunch of people in Central Park practicing with their lightsabers. And what was my knee-jerk reaction? Love. I was mm-hmm. immediately... I wanted to stop. I wanted to hop off my bike and go hug the people. So, I mean, that's my feeling about Star Wars. I love it. I love the mythology. Um, I'm sure there's a, there are metachlorians in my blood, and I'm a <laughs> Jedi, and I just haven't realized it yet. I, I love it. It's just... Um, I think this kind of reality check from uh, Elstree 1976 is... It's kind of healthy. Well, no, I think that's a valid point. And maybe it's just one of those things where as a culture, we kind of need to talk about less is more and maybe, maybe not like killing something to death just because it's popular. Just, you know, I think we talked about this in an earlier episode about how in the UK, um, it used to be that things had a beginning, middle and end. And maybe we should try and appreciate that more as opposed to like extending things and turning them into zombies and way past their sell-by date. Right. And so and so you're, uh, as an acknowledged Star Trek fan over tr- over the Star Trek, Star Wars fan over Star Trek, um, are you okay with this kind of just um, continuation of the, of, the, of the universe ad infinitum just with, uh, with no end in sight? No. I have, I have my limits because, like I said, I'm not a rabid fan. Like, I think after the... Because right now we're in episode seven. We're looking forward to episode eight and nine. After nine, I'm good. Like, I think I'm good. Like <laughs> Hollywood's not good. Hollywood's Hollywood not, not good. It's, that's why I'm actually really excited about Rogue One, because it's within the universe, but it's like an untold story within the universe. I think that's cool. And if we, like, did a little bit more of that and maybe focus on the bit players. Ha, I'm bringing it back to L Street. Focus on the fictional bit players in the larger Star Wars universe. That could be fun. That could be really right. fun. Uh, but if you were to tell me we're going to have an episode 10 in which we follow yet again how the Skywalker family fucks up the entire universe, I'm not exactly down for that, you know? like And also, across this vast universe, how there are so many close connections. That That's something... My suspension of disbelief goes but so far. And if I'm talking about, you know, we're going into hyperspace and we're planet hopping, I mean, the universe is vast. And you're telling me all these people are related somehow? Well, actually, you're the daughter of this person and you just happen to be the linchpin to this particular plot point. It it gets a little hard to believe. So I'm with you. That's what I mean. Something like like, we can't keep following the Skywalker family. No. (laughs) Right. So I think something like a, a Rogue One. You know, if you take us in, I mean, again, that's still connected to the original story, so that's not quite what I mean, but it's it's going there. Yeah. Like if you take the the tropes, if you take the what the universe that George Lucas built originally, and you take us in just completely different directions, then things get interesting for me, and I'm kind of back in. 
I, but I think it, it could be, you know, if we give Hollywood the benefit of the doubt, which I don't think they almost ever deserve. <laughs> but if we give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they're just setting the stage with these first three films. And after the third or fourth film, maybe we will get these films that have zero to do with Skywalker, zero to do with Vader. Maybe we get like a Wookiee story, just like a complete <laughs> Wookiee story. Well, and there are like subtitles. That would be amazing. Would that be amazing? That would be amazing. So long as it's not like the 1970s Chewbacca's Christmas special thing. I did not see that. Is this something you actually saw? Uh, I saw like clips of it on YouTube, but it's roundly panned. It was like a very commercial, like Chewbacca's having a Christmas. There's <laughs> Chewbacca's family. And you can look it up online if you look it. And it's just like, why would you? Were there do subtitles? This? I, I really haven't seen it. I think I saw it in the early days of the internet, like a clip, because I had read about it as a kid that this had been a thing, but how do you find a video of it back in the days before the internet? You can't. So one day I was just Googling around and I saw something. I think I saw something online of it and I went, oh, oh no, 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 no. And you know, that's the danger of what we get. Uh, That's like a danger that we're hurtling towards if we just keep mining the star wars franchise like you you want the quality to be there you want it to feel like the original trilogy when you're watching it you don't want it to feel like this is a cash grab and that's a cash grab and you know if they don't handle it well we could get there and just to for let's get this on the record because we started this podcast after the force awakens came out your thoughts on the force awakens the first installment um It's better than the entire prequel series. That said, I'm not a fan of how they just beat by beat remade The New Hope. Right. Like, that was not my... Yeah, that's a big problem. I have a very close friend of mine who is absolutely in love with Kylo Ren, and I love this friend of mine, but I'm not a Kylo Ren fan at all. Now, is this someone who also watches Girls? No. On HBO? No, she's not. Okay. But she, she she, she loves antagonists. Um, but I'm not a Kylo Ren fan. I thought he was a whiny piss baby and not scary as a villain. And, you know, some people try and whoopify him and say stuff like, oh, he's a villain in progress. He's obviously going to be redeemed. No, I was not. Well, you, you mean you mean the lightsaber hissy fit when he gets angry? That that, that wasn't scary to you? No? <laughs> no, I was just like, seriously. It didn't terrify you? You know, his character is supposed to be something like 30 years old, but I thought he was like 18. Yeah, he he seemed more like a petulant child rather than kind of like a, a becoming a flowering evildoer yeah. uh, that makes people shake in their boots. But yeah, the one thing that that really didn't uh, come off well for me was again spoilers mm-hmm. for The Force Awakens was when he's uh, in a lightsaber fight with Rey and suddenly, miraculously, out of nowhere, she attains these amazing lightsaber skills and kicks his ass. Look, I haven't read the fan blogs about this, but if there is some chatter out there about, well, actually, you know, she was trained as a child and then, you know, like I'm saying, I think there's mm-hmm. a rumor that maybe she was in this original young Jedi training program and she maybe remembered her lightsaber training. I mean, OK, maybe. But then again, that's not counting accounting for, you know, Kylo Ren is presumably someone who's been trained for years in lightsaber battle. And then suddenly, you know, this woman who just is a junker, you know, who just, like, like my understanding is she's just like a scavenger on her planet. I I mean, suddenly she has skills? Come on. I think that there is one theory that, you know, throughout the movie you see Chewbacca's um, 
bowcaster shooting people and they go flying off in different directions and he shoots uh kylo ren and kylo ren is like oh he doesn't go flying so there are some some people who think that he was severely handicapped and that's why she won but it's not entirely clear there was a whole lot of internet fighting about whether or not it was okay that Rey is super good, super fast, and a lot of people comparing her to Luke Skywalker, and it's like a whole rabbit hole if you dump into it. I'm reserving my judgment for the next movie. If she wins again and kicks his butt, I'm going to think that's a little lame, because then where's where's the character growth? If next movie Kylo Ren comes back and he's like, yo, I did some training with my holographic dude master person and now I'm gonna kick your butt and she's the overconfident one it's like I beat you last time I'm gonna beat you again and then gets her butt kicked that I think would be interesting so what do you what do you think about the Luke Skywalker reveal where where she like comes on the mountain she finds him on this distant planet the, apparently the, the the plot again spoilers if you haven't seen it but the whole plot revolves around uh, everyone is trying to find where's Luke Skywalker. He's so important to, for some <laughs> reason. And so they finally get the map, which of course, you know, R2-D2 had all along. He had the missing piece all along, as always. He has the missing information in hologram form. Uh, and so they get the information. She finds him on this distant planet. She has to walk up these this mountain and she finally finds him and he turns around with this intense look like you've come and disturbed me. <laughs> Why are you here? And then she hands him the lightsaber and then that, and that's how the movie ends. And it's like this dramatic and, and the, the look on her face, Ray's face as she's mm-hmm. handing it to him, this, this pleading, like, come please be a Jedi again. I, I mean, you know, was that strong for you? Was that how that ending worked for you? It was a really dissonant experience because on the one hand, I was like, Luke Skywalker, oh my God, get a haircut. Oh, but your prosthetic hand looks really cool. Oh, it's an emotional moment. Oh, I'm finally seeing Luke that on cool. screen. That's cool. And then they did this really weird shot where they're just spinning around them. And right. I thought that was so goofy. It kind of took me out. The, 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 the prosthetic hand thing was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. That, that was a nice touch. Yeah. That was a great touch. Because they could have just covered it with, like, they could have explained it, like, oh, well, it's been years, and he has it covered with, like, rubber material like or something. Glove. But showing the hand. Yeah, yeah. But showing the hand was pretty cool. Um, I mean, I made fun a little bit of fun of it, but actually, I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, I, I think Luke Skywalker or Mark Hamill, the actual person, he hasn't. I mean, he's done some parts over the years since his early Star Wars fame, but he hasn't really had as successful a career as someone, say, like Harrison Ford. I think he did a good job in this role, even though it was only seconds long. I was about to say, even though he's not had a very successful career uh, in terms of, like, when you compare him to Harrison Ford, he has had a crazy successful career as a voice actor. He's the Joker in the Batman cartoons, if you ever... Right. Yeah. No, yeah, that I know. That I know. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, come on. I mean, these guys, a lot of these people didn't get into Hollywood to be voice actors. They got into it to be on screen and to be, yeah. you know, to be, uh, but you know, Indiana Jones. In, 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 his, uh, in his defense, Mark Hamill seems like he's a really chill and cool dude, and he's having so much fun being true luke skywalker again and i think he's at peace with what he's done so that does appear to be the case and um like do we know when the next uh when we're picking up the ray 
in Skywalker plotline? Do we know when right. that's coming out? So I think the plan for that is, so Rogue One's coming out this December. I think the next movie is coming out the December after that. So December 2017, I think. So 2017. Oh, that's, that's not, that's not that, uh... Well, they're filming it right now. So that, I think hmm. that's about the right timeline. Well, I mean, I, I hope if you're listening that you had a great Star Wars day. If you've never heard of Star Wars day, now you know. Uh, now you know that you, that's May 4th is the day to look for uh, Star Wars deals and a lot of other deals that likely have nothing <laughs> to do with it. But people are just cashing in. But, um, yeah, so th- so we had a great Star Wars day and hopefully we don't have to turn every successful franchise into, into a day. Because, again, we j- well, we just celebrated Alien Day, yeah. I mean, which I loved. But I mean, okay, come on, can, can we ease up? You know, are we gonna is this just gonna like every franchise is gonna turn into a holiday? So I mean, hopefully this will uh, kind of calm down, and you know, this won't get too crazy. But we'll, well see. Well, hopefully, Star Wars can live long and prosper. <laughs> we will talk to you next week here on the Mars Magazine podcast. This again is Adario Strange with Vic Song. Got it right this time. And we will see you. Yes, we will see you in the future. Bye.